Hello and welcome to another episode of Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host Stuart Neil, and joining me tonight is very special guest Charlene Lebrun from Player2 PR. Good evening Charlene. Good evening to you. Thank you so much for being on. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your company. Um, so I've been running Players for PR itself as a business for about a year and a half, but I was doing some work beforehand as well. Mm-hmm. And we basically do anything uh, that can help indie games kind of get the game out there. Yeah. Um, so anything from PR, um, but sometimes also marketing, social media, community, uh, a bit of events too. Um, we've done a bit of Kickstarter, even though it's getting a bit tougher these days mm. um, with Kickstarters. But yeah, anything that can you know sort of get game studios a big enough audience to make enough money to be able to make another game ideally <laughs> yeah <laughs> and hopefully obviously bring you back then and for the next right. game yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so how big is the company then um so at the moment full-time is just me mm-hmm. i've got collaborators coming in from time to time oh. um, especially on a project basis um but ask me again in a couple of months and i will probably have a different answer it's getting pretty busy (laughs) that's a good thing so it is definitely (laughs) so the role of a pr company then um within the industry what do you do for a developer um so when it comes to pr itself it's anything that will get coverage for a studio or a game Mm -hmm. not necessarily anything you know i won't just you know, do, uh, you know, just go in the street and, you know, <laughs> just pay people to play the game. But, um, yeah, any anything that can, you know, sort of make sure they've got good reviews, um, make sure that they have the right assets, that people actually hear about the game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it can be stuff in the background. So when it comes to, you know, for example, making sure that they have the right traders, that they have the right screenshots, the right game description on their Steam page or press kit, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the more proactive bits is actually, you know, sending out info, codes, anything that can catch the attention of the media. Um, and also sometimes influencers, streamers, YouTubers, uh, who are getting quite important as well. Yeah. With respect then to sort of the marketing materials and what have you, mm-hmm. although you would need um, a lot of the bits and pieces and sort of putting together the press kit and what have you from the company themselves, mm-hmm. you help with um, a lot of that thing, stuff as well? Yeah, so it really depends on the studio. Mm-hmm. So some of them really aren't sure exactly how to present the game. Um, so in that case, we kind of do everything from scratch. So mm-hmm. I get someone on board to work on a trader. Um, we select screenshots together. Um, and I'll be, you know, just interviewing the devs extensively for hours, mm. uh, making sure I'm not missing out any information to kind of see what could be interesting in actually putting it on the store pages and whatnot. What about tailoring a campaign then? Um, I'm guessing you don't use like a template or just sort of a, a cookie cutter one or such. <laughs> no, I mean, that would that would just be disastrous. Mm. <laughs> that would just end up being the worst campaign ever. Um so, yeah, I mean, you have to tailor the campaign when it comes to PR itself, excluding marketing, everything else. Um, it comes down to, well, the genre, for one, um, which is quite important. So each genre has, you know, their own specificities, um, their own different audiences, their own little quirks. 
we also tailor with um, you know the themes of the game. So anything that you know can catch the attention of the media that might not be games related. Um, but you know if a particular game, for example, has a very special take on horror or sci-fi or um, you know any type of you know external thing like um there was that indie game that was released recently called terror and um it's a simulation game where you run your own vineyards Mm -hmm. and from there you know you try to get the best wine and Mm -hmm. all of that so it's not necessarily very in-depth but it got people very interested and we kind of started seeing coverage coming up you know from um, wine specialists and wine publications and okay. stuff that didn't actually have anything to do with games, but yeah. that raised the profile of the game itself and then just got more people talking. So that's quite important too. Um, mm. And yeah, you also have to take into account um, the tone of the game itself. So, you know, if a game is very serious or a game is very funny, you're definitely not going to have the same campaign. Um, you're not going to communicate about it the same way. You're not going to show the same aspects of the game so that's going to be pretty different yeah what about then sort of the sort of development cycle of the game and what have you how early in that cycle would you prefer um a developer to come to you as early as possible (laughs) (laughs) um so i guess if if the game is pretty visual um as early as possible is great because it can get people interested um, very early mm-hmm. and the earlier people are interested, um, the more opportunities you have to kind of build up that sort of tension. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if um, you know, if you have a game that's, you know, sort of really pretty, that is great, that might not have functional gameplay yet, that can still be shown. Um, if it's more of a gameplay focused game, then any time from a year to six months before mm-hmm. the release is good. Okay. How do you go about finding out what the target market for the um, game is? So there are quite a few different ways. Um, so we kind of see what the game is and if there are similar games. So that's kind of the mm. basic way of doing it. So you see what games are very similar to it and you see which types of people like that game and why Mm. um and sometimes you might have very different types of audiences that would like the game for very different reasons but it's quite quite important to kind of nail that down and also having that list of similar games really helps when it comes to actually pitching the game to other people because then you know you know who covered which game who liked which game and then you can just say, well, if you like this one, then you'll probably like this one yeah. for a similar reason. Do you think there's an issue there with saying that it's like something, but possibly comparing it to something that is so well regarded? Um, yes, there can definitely be. <laughs> um, so it's not, it's not the type of thing I would actually recommend saying outright. Mm-hmm. Um, so say if... You know, your game is between two types of games like um, Zelda and Thimbleweed Park. Yeah. You wouldn't actually go up to people and say, it's, 
you know, a mix between Zelda and Simply Thark. He would describe the game in a way that's very evocative, mm. but that would make people think, oh, it's between those games that I liked. Um, rather than actually, you know, sort of setting the bar really high and then just getting everyone who really liked the game either slightly disappointed or thinking it's not actually like this game. Mm. Because I liked that other game for very different reasons. Mm. So you don't want to get the wrong idea out there from mm. the start. Yeah, it's trying not to missell it as such. Yeah. What about social media then? Um, how important has that become um, with respect to marketing games now? Very. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, especially when we when we talk about indie studios, um, a lot of them are, you know, when they're starting out, um, the only thing that they have going for them, except for, you know, maybe a really awesome game, is um, accessibility. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has been going around for, for quite a while. And um, ever since the days of MySpace, for those who remember, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's, it's something that's really important because you feel that you have direct access to the creator of something that's really cool. Yeah. Um, more than you would if it was, you know, like a really big studio, for mm. example, because big studios, of course, they'll have community managers and they'll have people dedicated to it. But with a huge audience and huge visibility, you can't actually give the right amount of attention to every single person. Mm. But when you can create that very personal connection, then people will actually sell your game for you, which is quite a wonderful thing really because people like you so much that they actually want to you know tell others about your game yeah Um, so it's it can be great and if you actually enjoy talking to people then that's just you know one of the best ways to get your game known on pretty much no budget if it doesn't actually suck too much time out of development of course because some people you know they're making a game all on their own and you know it can be a big time strain spending mm. 10 hours a week on twitter or something like that uh, i've seen sort of recent advice there from um just on twitter mm-hmm. with a couple of indie devs saying that you know if you're making a game on your own even if you try and stream it a little bit during the day that's a really good way of sort of getting engagement but also getting things done at the same time yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, there's one dev I'm actually working with um, making a game called East Shades. Mm-hmm. And um, so then he's been streaming the development for a few months now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that actually got people to know about the game. But at the same time, that's his working schedule. So he doesn't actually spend a lot more time, you know, promoting the game. He's just working and people are watching him work. Mm-hmm. So that can be that can be a great way to do things if your game is not actually, you know, too linear. Um, because there's there's a bit of a danger here, you know, when you have a very linear game and there's, you know, only so much content that people can see before they feel like they've seen everything. Yeah. Um so if they see the whole game before it's actually out, then you know, kind of you you sort of lose interest. Um, from the people watching you, which mm. you know can be a shame. Yeah. With social media, is it mm-hmm. best to try and 
go for all the social media, such as, you know, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, you've got Snapchat, etc. Mm-hmm. Or are you better following what you think is your target audience? It can be such a massive time sink um, when you spend too much time on social media. Um, and for the type of audience that you have, they might not be everywhere. So say if you spend equal time between Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Twitch, um, but people are only on Twitter and Twitch to you know see what you're doing and you know keeping up with the development of your game. Mm-hmm. Then all the time that you spend on the other platforms is a bit you know it's a bit of a time waster. Yeah, I mean there's there's that, but there's also what you feel the most comfortable with. So. You know, I mean, you could have a great audience potential on Snapchat, but if you really hate using Snapchat, it's not going to make you feel good. And it's actually going to bring negativity into the development cycle more than you need to. So if you don't have a dedicated person taking care of community and communications, then, you know, you might as well try to hit the next best thing, you know, which, I don't know, might be Instagram or something else. You'd mentioned influencers and streamers and what have you. With respect to um, them and the fact that they're now playing a a much bigger role in the marketing and what have you of different games, how do you go about choosing the right one for the game that you're promoting? And how do you then get in contact with them? Um, Well, choosing them is... (laughs) It's mostly about, um, you know, seeing which games they play. So, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're not following a lot of people playing games on YouTube or on Twitch or Mm -hmm. on Caffeine or any other platform, then it does take you a huge time actually researching those. But it's actually vital because if you send it to absolutely everyone, then you're going to have people, you know, claiming keys and then, you know, reselling them on GTA or, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. So it's, yeah, it's kind of that important bit of actually researching and making sure that this person who's going to play your game is going to like it. And yeah, I mean, actually liking it is huge too, because if they play it and they hate it, that can actually hurt your sales yeah. more than help them. Um, but yeah, I mean, contacting them, um, you know, a lot of them don't actually answer emails. Um, they uh, don't tend to check their emails too much. So even if you, you know, send them two, three, four emails, um, it's just not going to work too much. So it's best to have all the information you can put in one email Um and then just making it really short and sweet. Mm-hmm. So you've got... You know, like your short description of what your what your game is. Um, you know, a key to actually play the game, a trailer, and then a link to more information. Um, if you know, if they need it, and um, yeah, I mean the the biggest thing to actually mention is to let them know why the audience would love your game. Mm-hmm. Um. Mostly because they make, you know, a lot of them, especially the bigger ones, they make a living out of video views and video engagement. So, yeah, actually making sure that they know from the start, this is why this game is going to get me a lot of views or a lot of engagement. 
then that's actually going to have a huge impact for them. So it becomes beneficial for them to actually play your game. Mm-hmm. Is there a risk of being associated with a controversial influencer? Um, is that worth the reward? Um, there is. It depends what the controversy is about, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, if... <laughs> So, for example, if you if you have someone who's just you know kind of pushing it a little bit, um, you know, in their content, and you know, just trying to get a reaction, even if it means you know, sort of, yeah, being being a bit annoying to the wrong people, yeah. um, that's not much of a risk, especially if they don't go against your values as a developer. Mm-hmm. Um. So that wouldn't pose much of a risk. But, for example, if you want to be associated with someone who's, you know, like a, an outright scumbag, for example, then <laughs> that's going to be a bit of a different story. Um, but it's it's all about it's all about what each developer prefers. Um, it can get quite complicated like for example if um you know you have a game that's very um jump scare heavy mm-hmm. um and then next week you get a contact from pewdiepie who wants to play your game yeah and then you think what am i actually going to do and then you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons and that's just such a complicated decision i mean at this point i would probably kind of take that decision depending on the game yeah. and depending on the audience. Um, but yeah, it can either hurt your game or if you know that their audience that actually follows them no matter what is going to love your game, then that can be great. But mm. there's no way to actually say outright. Yeah. Um, I've been speaking to a uh, guy who works in PR over in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland here. And he was saying that while he doesn't agree with anything that PewDiePie does, <laughs> if he was to say that he wanted to stream their game, they would jump at the chance. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it is very much a trying to weigh up whether or not it's, it is worth it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it, it depends, it depends on, you know, the moral compass that you have. And if, I mean, if your game is very, value heavy um and it's you know it's quite political or you know or you pride yourself in being someone very political in public then you know obviously that kind of association is going to be a lot more difficult than you know someone who just makes it for fun yeah how important is pricing um for a game's marketing um in terms of marketing itself it's not that important mm-hmm. um but in terms of sales it really is um most likely you you have you have two different sides of pricing so you you know you have those who want to kind of bring the price down because mm-hmm. they want to get as many sales as possible they would rather have more people buy it um than you know like having a higher price tag but having less sales but if you have a price that's too low, then people don't actually value your game that much. Yeah. So that's that's a complicated, uh, <laughs> a complicated bit. Um, but then again, no matter how you know, 
no matter which price you actually choose, you're always, especially for an indie game, and if you can't make a game that, you know, is replayable for, you know, 50 hours or so, then you're always going to have people who are going to complain to you or, you know, post comments on the Steam page saying, well, you know, like if I divide the price by the number of hours I got out of it, then <laughs> it's not worth it. But these might not be the people you are trying to reach anyway. Mm. So it's quite it's it's quite quite a complicated issue. Um but yeah pricing too low is not usually a good idea mm. either. Like you want to have a happy medium. So what I usually do is seeing what the other similar games with a similar audience how you know how they're pricing the game and if it worked for them sales wise and then the kind of feedback they got on that hmm. with respect then to um player two pr yeah. what games have you um run uh, campaigns and things for and what successes have you had from those um so from the very beginning um so i actually started um working on a game called allison road uh, which worked really well, um, but that was that was actually before before Player Two was was a thing even. Mm-hmm. Um, so we announced the game, uh, and we, you know, sort of got a lot of press from it. So we kept having hits from you know IGN and Polygon and Kotaku and everyone, but um, a lot of it was due to timing i imagine because mm. it was a, a renewed interest in first first person horror games mm. um so that really helped um and so that's one of the things that has to be taken into account too is you know you can do all the work um that you can and try to push your game as much as possible if the timing isn't right then you know like you you can't do much about it mm. But yeah, we were quite lucky with this one. Um, really good game. They uh, signed with the publisher, so I stopped working with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, that was that was it. Um, the other notable games I've worked with um, uh, very recently, there's been the Dark Side Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, so got quite a lot of coverage. Did like the whole review thing, um, releasing it. And um, yeah, in terms of in terms of press, it went quite well. Um, we have just done a mobile release for Game Dev Tycoon, um, which was a, a PC gaming favorite of mine a few years back. Yeah. So that's gone quite well as well. They're actually doing a very interesting um, experiment in terms of how the release went. So every couple of days, they kind of you know releasing to the public um all their analytics um all their sales what you know yeah what is happening with the release and you know all the data um that's coming with it so that's quite quite interesting yeah so yeah um earlier this year there was leaving lindau by Shay studio which was a quite an interesting experiment um Mostly because that's this new indie dev who used to work in AAA and didn't want his very big, um, you know, passion project to be the first game that he released. Mm. Um, mostly because he didn't really want to have, you know, like if he thought, if I'm going to make mistakes releasing the game, I might as well just make them for 
a smaller game. Yeah. So, so that's why he did kind of took the same environments and made a much smaller, um, much smaller game with very different game mechanics and very different story. Um, but yeah, as a sort of taster, um, for the bigger game, and that was quite interesting. You know, it was not really a demo because the game is you know quite different. And it was not not really just an experiment because it also helped with the funding of the game, mm. um, you know, without actually going to Kickstarter or anything. Um, so that was quite quite interesting. Um, it's actually in profit now, so oh wow, that's yeah, that's going quite well. Yeah. Um, that's kind of funding the rest of the development of the big game, so mm. it's really nice to see. Um, yeah, late last year, just yeah, just a, a year ago. Gone. Time goes by so fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I worked on a game called Shattered: Tale of the Forgotten King. Mm-hmm. Um, so we announced it just around E three, and so they were with IGN Live, and we partnered with the Square Enix Collective to bring it to Kickstarter. And it got overfunded, I think around 130%. Oh, that's very good. Um, yeah, so that was that's pretty exciting to see. Um, there will be news at some point soon. Mm. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing the reaction on people's faces when they see all the new stuff that they've been working on. <laughs> With so many games being released on all platforms on a weekly basis now, you know, on mobile, you're looking at, um, what well, I think it's, what, 500 different games every week or oh, whatever. God, yeah. On Steam, you're looking at nearly 200, uh, give or take, every week or so. What are the do's and don'ts um, for marketing for games? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it usually depends on the game. Um, but there are quite a few, a few things uh, that apply to everything. So um, in terms of do's, the first thing that, any developer should do if possible is figure out who their audience is Mm -hmm. um like i usually say it's you know you're making a game for yourself but you're releasing it for other people to play and enjoy so it can't just be about you know this is my game this is my game this is my game you also have to know who you're talking to yeah so yeah actually you know, sort of doing some research. If you're active on social media, that's perfect because you actually have your, you know, your market sample right there. You can yeah. just ask them directly, <laughs> hey, what do you like? Or what would you like to see more of? Or, you know, what kind of aspects of the game do you like the most so far? Or anything like that that can help you learn more about them. So that's probably the biggest thing. Um and it's, it's actually easy to do, but it's something that a lot of people I have seen not do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, just the <laughs> making great assets part. Um, so, yeah, your trailer is really important. Your screenshots are very important. Um, mostly because people are visual creatures. So if you... You know, like you can have the best game ever, and if your trailer doesn't actually convey that, then you just 
lost to people, you know, like yeah. their two minutes of attention to your game is gone and they're not going to renew that. So it's just, yeah, it's so important. Mm. And yeah, I mean, for the rest, it's just doing what actually works for you and your game. So some people, you know, they want to be really good at, you know, say contacting the press or they won't be really good at you know, sort of writing the right assets, but they'll be great at social media mm-hmm. and connecting with people. And that's something that you can actually build on and, you know, focus on to, you know, actually reach out to people and, you know, getting people to notice you mm-hmm. uh, among all the other games. So that's, yeah, um, just doing what works for you yeah. is the best especially when when you're doing it on your own like you you can't learn you know a massive range of new skills and um you know sort of starting something completely new like yeah i'm going to become a marketing expert by next week so that i can get people to pay attention to my game just Mm. can't work like that otherwise you won't have any time to focus on development Mm. yeah i mean in terms of don'ts um there aren't that many um you know, like indie studios, they've got that sort of big, um, big advantage that because there isn't such a, a huge um, financial dependency on the results that you're going to get with sales or, you know, sticking to the tried, um, the tried and proven methods, then you can actually be really creative at what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but forgetting about the why part of your game yeah. is just the biggest mistake I've seen, you know, studios make. Um, so, for example, if, you know, like you're, you're telling people about your game and you're just forgetting either why they should care, yeah. which is <laughs> which is a big one. Um, but, yeah, sometimes they'll forget to, you know, mention or present or convey in some way why people should care about the game. Mm. Um, or on a more introspected version, um, you know, why you're actually making the game. You know, if yeah. there's a, a very interesting story about why it matters to you and why you actually made this game and not another game, or, you know, why you, you know, why it's, it, it's that important to you. You know, people, when... So when Cuphead was released recently, um, so of course people were talking about the game and they were talking about, well, everything about the game really. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. (laughs) But um, one of the big things that people were talking about was, you know, like that is the story behind the game and these people risked everything to get to the market. and that's a story that really resonates with people. And you think, wow, like, you know, imagine caring about something that much that, you know, you're willing to just risk everything in your life to actually make sure people play it. Yeah. Then that's going to get people's attention for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't say, you know, <laughs> just you know, risk your house and risk your life so that you can make a game and sell your story. But any anything that's true to you and that really matters to you, then that's a good thing to also convey to people. Yeah, unfortunately, well, 
it sort of ties in a little bit with the sort of reality TV shows and what have you. It's yeah. the the people who have a background story, yeah, um, as well as the talent, are the ones who go a little bit further than the ones who yeah. just have the talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about it's all about caring, and that's what that's actually what works with social media. And that's why I was saying earlier that it's really important when you're an indie to have that personal connection with people is. You know, if people care about you, then they'll want to support you more than, you know, they would want to support just any other game. Yeah. And that's especially true for Kickstarter campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, you can have the best game, the best looking game. You can have, you know, an amazing video. You can have, you know, the best assets on your Kickstarter page. If you don't actually have that bit of vulnerability with people, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Just a quick question with respect mm -hmm. to Kickstarter. Do you think a lot of Kickstarter campaigns fail because they're asking for too much? It goes back to pricing, actually. Mm. Um, you're either asking for too much or you're not, you're not asking for enough. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, it's actually a really difficult question because people, you know, it, it, depends, it depends on what your game is, mm -hmm. for one. So say if you ask for 100k, then for, you know, a game that looks good, but that looks very indie, it's going to maybe feel like a lot, even though that's nothing compared to what the actual budget will be for sure. Yeah. Um, but if you have something that looks more like uh, an indie, indie AAA quality of game, um, and you ask for 100k, then people are just going to think, well, if they get 100k, and you know, like that, that's obviously not going to be enough to make the game. Mm. Um, if they can't find the rest of the money somewhere else, then that's money that we've just sunk into a Kickstarter, and we're just, you know, the, the game is never going to see the light of day. Yeah. Um, so you you can ask for too much for sure in terms of public perception. But it's always going to be the the rules are also going to change from year to year. Mm. Um, say two and a half years ago, if you were making a Kickstarter for a game and you were asking for three hundred k, and it was your first game, then that was actually doable. Yeah. Now, if you you know like you you can ask for thirty k, maybe fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's it's a shame because that's not nearly enough to make a game unless you're just doing something super small. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I know one of the Northern Ireland companies, Outsider Games, um, recently mm -hmm. had a successful Kickstarter. And if memory serves, they were asking for 50,000. Mm -hmm. um, but I know they were asking for that 50,000 so that they had funding that could be matched by another investor. Um, I think it was NI yeah. Screen. Um, so in that respect, they were doing it sort of, you know, uh, dual funding. Um, almost yeah. uh, to try and work it that way um, is that something that you would maybe encourage if you know that you have backup plans then yes mm -hmm. if you're not too sure then it's it can be a win or lose situation yeah. like if you you know also if your goal is pretty low you actually have a chance to get funded in the first few days. And if you get funded in the first few days, then instead of having a big slump as you usually do in Kickstarter campaigns, you know, you have the, the first 48 hours, you get, you know, quite a lot of funding. Yeah. 
And then the last 48 hours, you get a lot of funding, but in the middle, it feels like the valley of death. Like, you're just, <laughs> you know, you feel so desperate to get money that you're not actually getting. So, you know, instead of having that big slump, then it's, you actually keep getting money because once it's funded, mm-hmm. then it feels more secure. It's less like betting, even though, you know, you could back a game and as long as it, doesn't get funded you you don't actually pay anything but for people it actually tells them oh there's support behind it um they're going to be able to you know get more funding and you know like no matter what the game is actually going to happen so yeah Okay, uh, that's all the questions I have, Charlene. So thank you very much for coming on and um, thank you. doing the interview with me. Uh, at this stage, whenever we do interviews and things, um, mm-hmm. we like to open it up to who uh, our interviewee to give sort of shout outs to any particular projects that they want to highlight and what have you, and also just uh, to let people know how they can get in contact with you if they need to. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it would be it would be hard to highlight just one project. Um, but if you're a developer and you like to see, you know, people making game and, you know, how they actually make the game, then I would check out Ishay Studios on Twitch um, because they're doing streams every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if people want to get in touch with me, they can, you know, reach out on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way. It worked for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's at Charlene Lebrun. And yeah, that's it. That's okay. Thank you very much for coming on. And, uh, Thank you. Hopefully um, everything will go well and certainly keep us abreast of um, any new campaigns and things going on. I'll be following the Twitter anyway uh, just to Thank see you. what new things you're promoting. And, Thank uh, you. No, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's all from LGR tonight and uh, goodbye.